2: Welcome to True Crime Garage, wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and this guy was supposed to be an original cast member of Jersey Shore, but they found out his situation was just a little too large. He is the captain.
1: And Also, in college, my situation's nickname was Snooky, so figure that one out. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening.
2: Thanks for telling a friend. Today, our featured beer is Citradonculus by the good people at Wiley Roots Brewing Company. Garage grade four and a quarter bottle caps out of five. Citradonculus is an American double India pale ale that is juicy, sweet, and clean and brought to us by these sweet peeps right here. First up, we have Preston and Quincy in Alliance, Nebraska.
1: And a big cheers to Annabelle in London, England.
2: Next, we have Michael and Parts Unknown. Michael is a butcher who works alone in the basement of a restaurant cutting up large pieces of meat mm-hmm. and he says he's listening to True Crime Garage and none of his co-workers will ever talk to him.
1: Right, and his <laughs> nickname is, they like to call him Dahmer. <laughs> and a big cheers to Elise and Jen and Boston.
2: Next we have Night Shift listeners of the show Christopher, Robbie, and Nikia. And a big, big, huge thank you to Lynn in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So thank you to everyone, and thank you to Lynn for all of your love and support.
1: If you'd like to give $1 million, $2 million, $3 million, maybe even $5 million, maybe even $10 million to the garage, go to truecrimegarage.com, click on the donate banner, and give us those millions of dollars to fill up the fridge.
2: We're going to have to get a bigger refrigerator, Captain. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. On September 18th, 1984, two young girls left their homes in South Dakota. The next day, the two were in the area of Casper, Wyoming. This is 12-year-old Sharon Bald Eagle from Eagle Butte and her 15-year-old friend from Hot Springs. In Casper, they are hitchhiking looking for a ride when they are picked up by Royal Russell Long and taken to his home in Evansville, Wyoming. There, he feeds them a meal. And after, he offers them $100 for sex. Both of the girls refuse. Well, that doesn't seem to work for Royal because he then pulls out a gun and ties both of the girls up. After a while, the 15-year-old girl manages to break free. She flees the house and runs to the neighbor's home. When the police arrived at the home, Long and Bald Eagle were both gone. 12-year-old Sharon Bald Eagle was reported to have with her a red bag, and she was wearing a black, yellowish, tiger-striped top and black shoes. Well, not only are the police looking for the little girl, they are looking for Royal Russell Long as well. Long is reported to be in an early 80s beige pickup truck with a cowboy camper. Long, while he's on the run, he starts to call friends and relatives in the area of his home. He is asking for them to wire money transfers to him. Police trace these calls to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Later in early October, Royal Russell Long is arrested at a parking lot payphone in Albuquerque, New Mexico. But the girl, Sharon, was not with him. In fact, Long had a much different story than the 15-year-old girl that called the police on him. Of course he did. Long said he picked up the girls. He believed they were both 18. He offered them money for sex and they accepted. Afterward, the two girls revealed to him their real ages and they were attempting to blackmail him for more money. When the older girl fled, he panicked and he left with Sharon. Royal Long maintained he drove Sharon Bald Eagle to Cheyenne and found her a ride to Texas. This is a trucker he said he knew who agreed to drive the girl to Dallas-Fort Worth area and let her go. Police searched all over and they never found Sharon Bald Eagle. And they never found this trucker, if in fact he even existed at all. Right. Royal Long denied knowing Bald Eagle's whereabouts. Royal Long later pled guilty to kidnapping and assaulting both of the girls. For this, he was given life sentences. There was no trial. Now, what took place after this? We have Casper Police they start noticing similarities between their case that they've recently solved Mm -hmm. and the unsolved Kenzie Pallett missing persons investigation. And they contacted OKC detectives. So now we have Oklahoma City, and they are interested in talking to Royal Long. He says he had nothing to do with this disappearance. Now, keep in mind, this is three years earlier and many, many miles away from his home. However, we still have those eyewitnesses. The two OKC boys, they positively identify Royal Russell Long as having been the man, the older man that took the two girls away in a vehicle. Right now, remember, they were unable to do this with a prior suspect. I think this adds to the validity of this identification that they are now positively making Mm -hmm. investigators. They start searching because what they need to do is we have these eyewitnesses, but we also need to place Royal Russell Long in OKC, or at least the area of there, the day of the disappearances. What they find is they find that Long had rented a vehicle. They rent. He rented this using his name, his identification driver's license. Right. The vehicle that he rented was a 1981 beige Pontiac Grand Prix. The same vehicle described by the two boys shortly after the abduction.
1: Which makes them pointing him out as the suspect even more likely.
2: Yes. And it seems like they've got their information correct. That they are providing to police immediately after the abduction and then several years after the fact. Yeah. What police surmise in their investigation is that we have this individual, Royal Russell Long, who we know by his own admission is capable of abducting two young girls and sexually assaulting them. We now can place him in Oklahoma City. We have the witnesses who identify him. We have his having rented the vehicle for that day. They believe that at some point, While he was in the area, he either came across or stole Donald Corey's ID badge, which he used to show to the children when he was pretending to hire them to offload this truck. The police search Royal Russell Long's home, and what they find there is interesting. It's blonde hair that seems to be consistent with that of Charlotte June Kinsey's. Police This would take some time, Captain, but they somehow managed to track down the rental car that was used three years prior. Right. With this rental car, they find blonde hair, again, consistent with that of Charlotte Kinsey's. This is under a mat in the vehicle. The trunk they found, someone had painted the trunk, the inside of it. Well, when they lit the thing up with luminol looking for blood, it glowed. What it showed was an outline and the outline almost looked like there was two bodies placed in the trunk that would have left their own blood from each of these bodies. There is a little bit of an issue with this, the stains or the luminol findings in the trunk. However, they couldn't prove that this came from human bodies. In fact, you have the investigators that say that it could have been animal blood. It could have been two animals lying side by side in the trunk, but they believe it to have been the girls. And then in February of 1985, Royal Russell long, he's by now suspected in this disappearance, obviously of the Oklahoma city teenagers. He tells a Wyoming newspaper that he was in the area that he was at the fairgrounds, on the day that the two were abducted. However, he states he was there to conduct some business.
1: Okay. So we have eyewitnesses that say he's the guy. Mm-hmm. We have the rental car. And now we have him himself, Russell saying, Hey, I was there. Yeah. I was just there to do business. Correct. Cause now- I'm a businessman."
2: Well, and he wouldn't elaborate as to what that business was. And, of course, investigators couldn't find any reason for him to be there business-wise. And he does. I think
1: his business is murder.
2: Yeah. Even though he admits to being there, he, he emphatically denies any knowledge of the girls, their whereabouts, or even having seen them on the day that he puts himself at the fairgrounds. Police now believe that they are probably working with a serial killer here. Yeah. Okay. They believe this guy abducted four different girls and is responsible for the murder of three of them because three of them have never been seen again. And one we know was last seen with long. And then we have these eyewitnesses putting the other two girls with long as well. Yeah this trial is going to take place in 1985 and there's going to be a lot of issues with this trial. Okay. So first we have this man long who is already in prison. He's admitted to kidnapping two girls. He's serving life sentences. They're going to have to extradite him back to Wyoming. And I think the way that this worked out is that they put a bit of a time frame on how long they were willing to keep him there as he awaited the trial. And I think the judge put a 180 day limit on reviewing the evidence to determine if this guy was guilty or if in fact that the trial should proceed at all. So they extradite him back to Wyoming. And as he's there, we have investigators that are still collecting evidence and prosecutors that are now trying to build a case against this man And they have an uphill battle against them because at this time, what Wyoming is going to see is a murder trial with no bodies. And I believe that this is the second, only the second time that they have faced such a trial. The other thing that they're going to face captain is what would be considered a lack of evidence in this case, Mm -hmm. because we have a judge presiding and he's going to determine what is evidence that can be, introduced at trial and what is going to be thrown out well at the crux of this whole thing at the start of this investigation is the casper police that contacted oklahoma city police and said hey look we just solved this case we have the guy and this is a whole similar scenario to what we believe happened in oklahoma city right and of course okc police They went along with it because it is, it's, it's, it's a a very similar story. However, and I think rightfully so in this situation, the judge says that's not evidence. You can't just because this guy admitted to doing this thing elsewhere in another state that seems similar to all of us, that's not evidence that he in fact did this other crime.
1: No, it just kind of points you in that direction.
2: Yeah. And I guess even though they could put him there with eyewitnesses and the rental vehicle and all of that. Right,
1: right. So let's go over this again. So we got the rental car. We got the eyewitnesses. We got his statements saying that he was there.
2: Yeah. Well, we have hairs that were found. Yeah, the hairs that were found. They're not identified to being that of one of the missing girls, but they're identified as being consistent with one of the girls at his home and in the rental vehicle itself.
1: We have the blood we
2: have. We know that there was blood at some point in that rental vehicle, and it looks to have come from two different sources. Right. Again, the, the experts would say, we can't prove that that wasn't animal blood. We can't prove that it was human blood. Mm -hmm. Um, but there was blood in that vehicle at some point and somebody took the time to paint over it. So, A couple things here that you really have to wonder about, because you have this judge who's who's trying to decide what is circumstantial evidence and what is just what is hardcore evidence. And you could really make an argument, I think, for both sides. When you look at it from the prosecution side and from the investigator side, it it seems like you have this mountain of evidence against this guy. But this mountain is going to start to crumble. okay? because you have. You have the experts that are saying, we, we don't know if there's animal blood or human blood. Right. How much can you do with that at trial?
1: Right. And then we don't have the bodies.
2: We don't have the bodies. Mm-hmm. And back then, they wouldn't have the capability to determine if, in fact, it was the hair that belonged to one of the missing girls. Mm-hmm. Also, remember we have the daughter, Long's daughter, who was willing to testify against him in court. Well, that gets thrown out by the judge. And this is because, you know, the judge is going to say, look, these are separate crimes that she is accusing her father of. If, in fact, you want to charge him with those crimes, you can. But then again, you have to have evidence. This is now her word against his word. So the daughter's testimony is not allowed at court. And much of what looks to be good evidence is thrown out. All you're really left with is knowing that he rented a vehicle and he was in the area at the time of the disappearance of these two 13 year old girls. So what ends up happening? Captain very, this is very frustrating, but the judge throws out a lot of the evidence and long story short dismisses the trial for lack of evidence. So now we have long who is saying, well, I was, You know, they extradited me to another state. I was held there. I would receive death threats while I was there. And now he's going to sue the state. He says he's going to sue the state of Oklahoma for $10 million. That's a lot of money. Should he be awarded (laughs) that as he sits in prison and serves life sentences? Yeah,
1: that's a lot of, uh, well, I guess I get cable. Some places get cable and you get snacks (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh yeah the commissary you could yeah. you could buy a lot of uh Paw malls with 10 million dollars
1: well and you could also buy like other people in prison snacks too that way like your buddies yeah you got some people protecting you
2: so there is a what i could find on this regarding this lawsuit was a one-page document and it seems to be a very brief overview of how this whole thing transpired
1: it said it was entitled Oh hell no.
2: <laughs> right, right. That's what it said right at the top of the mm-hmm. page. Oh hell no. Um I think that and and I'm not positive because mm-hmm. I didn't print off that one page document. I think it might have been the same judge for the lawsuit as for what have would have been the criminal charges he was facing for the double homicide. Mm-hmm. He was awarded uh victor in that lawsuit.
1: Ten million dollars
2: they gave him $1 (laughs) because I think that, I think the way this things works is that if you are able to prove, you know, so much so Mm -hmm. that I, I think this is a way of making this lawsuit go away, right? Because you could then keep filing and filing and filing. And what he was suing for was a lot of different things, not only the wrongful potential wrongful conviction or indictment, He's charging for, you know, he says he received death threats while he was there for the 180 days. He also had to have counsel. He had to hire counsel for all of that time. So when this is all said and done, he gets $1. He goes back to the beautiful state of Wyoming to rot away in a prison cell for the rest of his life. There's so much troubling stuff here, Captain, and I I think that I lean toward the side of the judge's findings that maybe there just wasn't enough evidence to carry this trial all the way through. The problem is, and we've seen this in cases that we've discussed and and maybe even cases that we've recently talked about, where you have to wonder, does the double life sentence weigh a factor into the judge's decision and i know that that it's not supposed to technically probably does when he's making that determination but is it one of those situations where it's like we know this guy's locked up he can't do any more harm Mm -hmm. hopefully i know the judge shouldn't be thinking this hopefully there's some prison justice going on and rather than rather than take this case and get a conviction that might be later overturned maybe let's toss this one out
1: yeah um No, I agree, but I I mean, I think it's difficult. I mean, but like you said, at the end of the day, no matter what happens, you already have two wins Mm -hmm. as far as the two life sentences. So I I think it plays a factor. No matter what they say, it does it play a factor.
2: And today, so when they're searching his home, you know that they're going there looking for specific items that would really sure up their case against him. Right. You know, they didn't find the ID badge that they presume he stole or found. They would have hoped to have found anything clothing wise or anything that the girls would have had on them that day in his home. They didn't find that. And the other thing too, is we don't have DNA back then that we could use to on the hairs or any of the items potentially found or evidence found in that car. Right. So with DNA, if they would have found something of the girls at his home, you could have got a conviction. Also the bodies, there's no bodies. And I think that's also the the tough thing for the judge to get over in that situation. Well, I
1: understand that. But also if you process the evidence correctly, then we have that stuff to process later. Mm -hmm. And then we could at least get some closure for the family or friends or, or whoever. I, I hate using that word closure because I don't think there is closure. Right, But I, there, you get some answers, and so I, I think you get answers, at least in the one case, because we have the eyewitnesses, and we also have him saying I was there. We also have the rental car. We have a lot of stuff, even though the, the judge threw that out. I'm not going to be able to forget about that.
2: And even though they didn't get a conviction, I know both sets of parents were truly hoping at the end of the day to bring their daughters home, to lay them to rest at home. Right. And that didn't get to happen. In fact, I know the one girl, her father traveled all over the country and this was when the remains would be found. He would go to these different States. He spent a lot of time and a lot of money, a good portion of his life trying to track down his daughter, be it if she were alive or deceased. Right. Now, I should point out here that the whole defense that Long had, and I think this was, a, this was a good defense presented by his defense team and the attorney, was that the state had such a problem with having no bodies in this murder trial. So what the defense suggested was, look, shortly after these girls went missing, We have tips that were coming in saying, oh, I saw these girls here, saw these girls there. There were tips that came in even, I think, a year or so later that they tracked down to Florida. Now, these tips never went anywhere. It never produced the girls, obviously. And most likely, we've seen this in a lot of cases where you have people, they want to see something. They want to help. Therefore, they call in. You know, you see something, you say something. They call in, and, and likely these weren't credible eyewitness accounts but they're just good people trying to help and assist in right. some way
1: but it's just like the jamie Kloss case where there was eyewitnesses that possibly saw her in florida mm-hmm. and there's like and now we know that that's not the case there was no chance that she was in florida so i i, I don't know but i mean, i think they get some answers though whether or not the court gives them answers, I think the evidence gives you answers. Mm-hmm. And and maybe that can be enough for him. I mean, it it is sad that he's, the father was flying everywhere and traveling everywhere to try to bring back the remains. But it's also a tricky thing here because he's not convicted of a double homicide.
2: Or a murder. Yeah.
1: So then it becomes... Did they get away? Was it another botched thing, or or did he murder them? Mm-hmm. But so, but I'm I'm assuming uh, he did.
2: I think all signs point toward, unfortunately, that they were killed at some point. They've never resurfaced. They these two girls that we're discussing now were 13 years old. They they weren't unlike the 19 year olds. They have less the ability of a startup elsewhere. And the other thing too, that we have to point out is it's very clear from those two boys that they were with at the fair that day, they gave enough correct information that the police were later able to verify. To me, that really shows that Russell Long, Royal Russell Long was with those girls and he was very likely the last person they were ever seen with. So there for me, I I think that's enough of all the arrows pointing to this guy being involved in their abduction. And if they've never resurfaced, you have to believe they've probably been killed.
1: Right. And also there was a bunch of blood in a trunk.
2: The evidence keeps pouring in. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play.
3: Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, Thank you. I was having problems in math, and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track, or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com/garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com/garage
2: today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a 3-month plan. It's time to switch. To Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless. With Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get 3 months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three month unlimited wireless plan for just fifteen bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to fifteen bucks a month at mintmobile.com. TCG $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors no prep, no mess meals. To get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active.
1: All right. Ahoy. Cheers,
2: mate. A very cold, chilly cheers to you, Captain. A cold front has hit the Midwest. Everybody bring your animals inside. Don't leave your pets out too long. It is free. I lost a finger. We were just outside of the garage. I'm now down to nine fingers. I got the nine good ones. Eight good ones. Eight good ones. That's right. He has
1: a funky finger.
2: So, Captain, I'm going to pat myself on the back here. I think Mm -hmm. I did a fairly good job of laying out the facts of these missing persons cases. We have eight abductions. We have two bodies that are found. We have five girls that are never seen again. No remains to this day have been found. And we have one brave girl who gets away. Mm -hmm. And at the center of this seems to be this potential serial killer who he could be potentially responsible for all of these cases. He also could be responsible for cases we are unaware of.
1: Right, but he... He's dead. Yes. Died in prison.
2: He died of an apparent heart attack in prison. This was in 1993. So whatever secrets he was keeping, he kept, he still has them. We will not know, uh, what he may have confessed to later in life or what they would be able to get him to, um, you know, confess to any of these or offer up evidence as to what could have happened to any of these girls.
1: Well, I'm going to, I'm going to say something. And, uh, we go back and forth on the death penalty, right? Mm-hmm. And no matter what you say about it, either way, you're going to get hate mail. But the one nice thing about having the death penalty is that if that is on the table, that sometimes can get people to confess to other crimes, mm-hmm. therefore having answers to other crimes. Right. And so that is a part of it that I do like about it. But the part where that, you know, innocent people die on death row because our justice system got it wrong, I don't like at all.
2: Right. There's there's problems both ways. Yeah, yeah.
1: So uh but yeah, this this one's difficult because he had no he was he had two life sentences. Yes. And so there's no negotiating. He had no reason to come forward and say, Hey, you know what, I did these other crimes, Mm -hmm. and I'm responsible, especially when there aren't bodies found. Right? It's like, why would he admit to any of these things? But now, obviously, we have the two that he's convicted of. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, we didn't find her body. He's not convicted of murder, but let's just go ahead and say he's a piece of shit and guilty of that. Agreed. And then as far as the other two in Oklahoma that he was tried for and they you know, basically tossed out all the evidence, which, again, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But I'm going to go ahead and say there's enough evidence in my eyes and the, and the, the jury is out as far as the garage jury. You're a piece of shit. Not once, but twice in that case. So you uh, to me, he's responsible for those murders. We have enough evidence, I think, to convict him.
2: Well, before we move on from those two, the two girls, 13-year-olds in Oklahoma, I think that really all we have to state here is that if you if you believe the two boys, the two eyewitnesses, who I think gave very good information to investigators and it was later proven to be true and backed up, even though it didn't work in the court of law, right? I think that as long as you believe those two boys, and we already know what he's capable of long because he confessed to Two abductions right. and sexual assaults already. I think that that's an easy no-brainer that out of these eight abductions, he's responsible for four of them. And, I, and, I and mean, within those four, there's there. three dead people there. I mean, there's three dead victims here. Right. They've never surfaced They're from dead. that day. Yeah, yeah. So that leaves the four that took place within a seven-week time period in Rollins, Wyoming. Now, we know that he was roughly in the area at that time. Three of the abductions have one thing in common. They all took place at a rodeo. Yeah. And we have Royal Russell Long, who was known to frequent rodeos. He was also known to have worked at fairgrounds.
1: I mean, he had a truck with a camper on it. Mm Mm-hmm. Cowboy nah. camper, cowboy camper. They could, they should call them creeper campers, because I mean that. The I mean, you want to talk, you want to talk about stepping up the game. Ban the van, ban the creeper camper, because there's maybe nothing creepier. Those are more creepier than the creep vans.
2: Well, one thing I should point out here in.
1: Is that you own one of them? Is
2: that where there's not a lot of information, especially on these earlier victims, there's also not a ton of information on Royal Russell Long himself. Now, what I was able to find, what images I were, was able to find of him, it seems to be like this guy was switching vehicles an awful lot throughout his adult life. And well, right, that, because that's once always you, a big red flag,
1: right? Once you murder somebody and blood gets everywhere, you have to sell the vehicle.
2: Or if you, if you believe that there may have been a witness to seeing your vehicle, you right. You, you got to change the color of it. You got to mm-hmm. change the plates. You got to get rid of the vehicle, switch to a different one, all kinds of things that he would have been doing. Should he have been responsible for all eight of these?
1: Now, as far as the two, uh, the, the Rawlings, Rodeo and the other Rodeo, I'm going to say he's my number one suspect in those. I agree. Prime Uh, suspect. The 19-year-olds. They were at the Rodeo. Yeah, no, no. But what I mean by the 19 is maybe old as far as his victim profile goes, older, but uh, it's still in that range, I think. So he's my number one suspect in those. Uh, and then the other rodeo case, the um, I'm forgetting her name, this Uh Baker
2: Baker or banker. I'm sorry.
1: Um The, the young girl, the 14 year old girl, the one that was walked by herself. That's not out a rodeo. Yes. He's in the area, but there's a lot of creeps out there.
2: Yeah. You're and, referring to Deborah uh, Myers case.
1: Yeah. Sorry. Deborah Myers case, 14 years old. It, that's the only one that I wouldn't have him be my number one suspect in. I I feel that he's guilty, you know, of murdering the first girl, murdering the two uh, that we have eyewitnesses for, and then every all the other cases, number one suspect. If if you're looking for an answer, that's probably your answer. Mm-hmm. But as far as the Deborah case, it's just there's no there's no information on her. There's no information on him. We have no clue if he's in the area, you know, and it's not at a rodeo or a fairgrounds. And I think that was his in. Yeah. And and I wouldn't be surprised if there's other cases in surrounding areas that have other state fairs that there's missing people Mm -hmm. that he might be connected to.
2: Well, as and well. he he was a truck driver for some point in his life as well, which adds a whole nother set of problems. Right. You know, how far was he traveling? How often was he traveling? And if he was simply an optor- opportunistic serial killer. Right. I don't think that it needs, he needs much pushing to find an opportunity to snatch somebody.
1: Well, no, he, he, he yeah. Yeah. He's creating the opportunity because mm-hmm. he's going to these events. I mean, I'm, look, that's a clever idea. Steal somebody else's name badge. I mean, and he might not have stole it so that the boys saw that, mm-hmm. but he might have stole it to get access into, like, the fair. Mm-hmm. And so, and especially back then, you're talking about a time where there's just less security. There's just, you know, people kind of turn in the... You
2: know, well, there's less surveillance being recorded. Right. And, yeah. you know, there's less means of doing so. And I I do want to throw something out here, though, uh, as I go through this. But I think, to me, it's very obvious. I agree with you 100%. The last four abductions, he's got to be responsible for all four of those, even though not convicted in court for two of them.
1: But he's convicted in the court of the garage. That's right. You, sir, we sentenced you. You're a piece of shit wrapped in a piece of shit.
2: Well, and then we have the issue of the four missing girls from just a seven-week time period in 1974 in Mm -hmm. Rollins, uh, Wyoming, where I think that you could probably make him your prime suspect in at least three out of those four. I'm with you with the Deborah case. I think that the problem I have there is, yes, he's in the area for all four of those, and that makes it difficult to rule him out, and I wouldn't rule him out for all four of them. However, with Deborah's case, I'm just so frustrated at the lack of, of information regarding that. I think that there's any number of possibilities that could have happened. Right. And I think that we're, we're really left guessing on that one. So I kind of toss that one out and, and save it for a later day and hope and pray that somebody provides some more information in that case.
1: But at least that's a lead, Mm -hmm. you know, that's pretty amazing. There's nothing on that case, but Hey, guess what? We offered you up a lead. Here's a guy to look at.
2: Well, and while we're tossing some things out, I should also point out that some people think that the infamous Ted Bundy might have been involved in some of these cases. This would have been the 1974 cases. As we all know, Bundy was a rapist, kidnapper and serial killer who assaulted and murdered many young women and girls during the 1970s. And these some of the states that he was active include Utah and Colorado, among other states. And he confessed, as we know, shortly before his execution to possibly 30 homicides between 1974 and 1978. The true total remains unknown. Could even be higher as far as we know. But the interesting thing here is what is between Colorado and Utah when we have Interstate 80 and we have Rollins, Wyoming. Now, Bundy has never officially been tied to any of the missing Rollins girls, but also, something to take into consideration.
1: Well, as we're talking about that dick bag of shit, because um, the the Bundy tapes were released as as far as Netflix, and I think it was put together well. I think they they missed some stuff. I mean, it was pretty long. From could kind of, they could have done a little bit better job there, but now you got this new movie where Zach Afron, which I have no problem with him, he's just doing his job being an actor. Here's what I'm worried about. And this is on a little soapbox. So give me about 45 seconds. Based on the trailers, though, they're, it's almost like they're glamorizing it. Mm-hmm. And I, that's what I'm afraid of. I think people are, are going to walk out of that movie and and really think, oh, man, this guy was like some kind of rock star. He wasn't. He was a dick bag of, of shit is what he was. And so when you're watching this movie and they're painting him with these rose petal glasses, remember that he had sex with dead bodies. Yeah. So, you know, I that I don't know. I I every time I see the trailer for that movie, and I was excited to, that it was coming out because I'm a true crime fan. But to not let's not glamorize it. And I hope that's not what happens. I hope people watch it and say, hey, that's not what they did. But that's the direction the trailer makes it seem. They they make it seem like it's a, a mix between a serial killer movie and Fifty Shades of Grey. Hmm. Well, it's, it's going to be Fifty Shades of Shit, that's what I'm telling you.
2: Well, and then you have to wonder, why have we not found any of these remains all these years later? Yeah. And I found some a statement regarding the prosecutor that attempted to prosecute long for the double homicide in the two missing girls case in Oklahoma city. And this was after the trial. And he says, look, and I love when these guys go on record and and state what they believe, even though he wasn't victorious in the court of law. He says, what we're dealing with here is a serial killer. We're dealing with a guy in his opinion is someone that is not only capable of murder, but has done it multiple times. And he even states
1: that we, that we're pretty convinced of.
2: He even states that he's, convinced that there are other victims out there that are not even tied to Royal Russell long and regarding where the bodies could be regarding these victims. I have a quote from the prosecutor that says that he truly believes that he thinks that he could show you that the bodies are likely within 45 miles of where they sit right now. And I I don't know where he was sitting when he said that, but he states that he believes that they would have been in rat holes And this comes from a statement of a fellow inmate that served time with Royal Russell Long. Now, Long was a trained meat cutter. And I guess he told, according to this inmate, told this inmate that if you cut the bodies up small enough and shove them down a rat hole, no one will ever find them. And the prosecutor goes on to say that he believes that within 45 miles of wherever they were, that you could probably find all of those bodies. We know that we know that long worked for some time delivering equipment to drill rigs in the area. Right. And he believes that if there were, if there were time and and the proper resources to do so upon further investigation, you know, they would find these bodies eventually in these rat holes. The problem with that is, as he points out in this article is there's tens of thousands of them in that area where long worked. And you know, over the years we have changing, um, you know, we have changing landscapes, overgrown grass, things of that nature that makes it only harder and harder. And as the time passes, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to find these remains. And the other sad thing, too, is it seems to be a a good lack of information regarding these missing girls that you might not be able to tie remains. Should you find some next week, next year, 10 years from now to these actual victims? We have cases where we don't have information regarding what items they had on them. You know, what Mm -hmm. were they wearing? Did they have jewelry? Uh, we, We have a lack of dental records. And in fact, one of the cases where they found the body, they outwardly say, we, we connected this girl was missing for nine years. Can you imagine the state of the body by the time they found it Right. only to be told that we, we matched this to her through a partial dental record. Mm -hmm. I would love to know the specifics of what that partial dental record uh, was to match it to that girl. Mm-hmm. And and I, I don't say that to 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 sound doom and gloom here, but
1: did they actually match it?
2: Was could it have been somebody else? Right. And could, in fact, her body be disposed of in a similar manner to the her friend that was with her that has never been found to this day?
1: Well, that's one of the things with law enforcement and crimes in general, as we get into the future is technology, more surveillance more DNA, you know, touch DNA, a lot more testing that we can do. And then also just as far as medical records, what they're collecting from people before, you know, before God forbid something happens to somebody, but there's a lot more records now. Mm-hmm. So at least I think going into the future, we're going to look back on the seventies, especially the the late sixties and the seventies and think, wow, man, that was very primitive. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we didn't get yeah. a fingerprint, we're not solving cases. Mm-hmm. So I think as far as, you know, that's a good thing as far as inv- advancement in technology.
2: Well, and I do want to give a kudos, uh, 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 my take my hat off to the parents of the missing that stayed involved and kept their cases alive. We saw a very big contrast between some of these victims here, where some of the victims have no information at all about them or about their disappearance. And then others where there is more of a wealth of information. Right. And I don't mean to mean that in a negative way towards the cases where we don't have any information towards those parents. Maybe they didn't know how to do certain things, how to keep the case in the public's eye. Plus we're also talking about small town America
1: or didn't have the means or didn't have a job that let them. Well, not only,
2: not only that, what about the, what about the resources within those towns where they're from? You know what I mean? What what I mean by that is what if those news articles are out there and they did exist at one time, but they never got sent down the wire throughout other cities, throughout other States in America. And so I don't mean to blame the parents there, but I do want to give a kudos to the ones that did stay involved and and that we do have information Regarding them.
1: Well, I mean, just think about that, though, too. I mean, and if if a crime happened today and, and somebody went missing and maybe you don't find that person, but they find some evidence, they can test that. There's hope that there mm-hmm. could be some um, answer that you're going to get. Back in that day, it was like, OK, she went missing and we have no eyewitnesses. What do you talk about? You just keep going while she's missing. Somebody has to help us find them. When do you, when do you give up? Because, again, there's so much lack of technology at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I feel for him, And also just lack of media, mm-hmm. especially early 70s. You know, not everybody was having a TV in their house. Right. You know, where where you start getting into the 90s and, and everybody has a TV and everybody has a computer and everybody's connected through the social interwebs. I mean, um, I'm not, I'm not saying that you are are talking trash about the parents, but I'm just saying, think about the time period. And it's like, and what if your newspaper's lazy and they're not writing anything up or Mm -hmm. they just don't care? We don't want, you know, there's towns that somebody goes missing in and then they, everybody rallies around them. And there's other towns where they're like, we don't want to print this. Mm -hmm. We don't want people in our town to be fearful of their kid going missing. Mm hmm. So and if that doesn't happen in 1974, well, story's done. Well, until there's a break.
2: And if you have a girl that's from out of town and nobody's really certain what happened, I mean, is is was hers just a story not on the front page somewhere and then it's been lost through all these decades?
1: Well, yeah. And what I'm saying is, if that town is going, hey, she's not from around here, we don't want to print this up and then her town's going well we don't want to print this up because she went missing in another town Mm -hmm. i mean it's not like now where you you take like a case like the delphi murders and it's like it's going to be constantly on people's brains and constantly people are going to be searching for leads because it's constantly in your face you're constantly reminded of it
2: well and really the only information out there on most of these cases is available on the missing person sites that we all know and we we uh, referenced several of those along the way and telling the story of this, of all these missing girls. There, I mean, there's so little information that, you know, and I love, you and I have said this several times. We love Web Sleuths. Big shout out to the Web Sleuth community. Yeah. We love Reddit. Big shout out to that community too. But if you get on there, you know, oftentimes when you research cases or look for leads on those two sites, there's a lot out there. There's a lot to be presented to you a lot to digest and you can run with it regarding these cases, very few post because there's just no, there's no meat on the bone, right? You know, there's no nothing to these disappearances. There's not a big story to it. There's not a big investigation to be had by armchair detectives or web sleuths to this day because there's just not much there. Now, While we're handing out thank yous and kudos to people, I do want to give a uh, kudos to Janet Franson, who we mentioned earlier, who she has worked, and she's still, to this day, looking for uh, potential family members Mm -hmm. of Carlene Brown, who was adopted. And the way that that works is that once you're adopted and you've been in your your new situation for years— your adoptive parents and the parents that put you up for adoption, they can equally agree to toss out those records. They can be thrown out. Right. And because of that, and because that was agreed upon at that time, they can't find her birth parents. And therefore that's why they don't have DNA samples to try to put together a DNA profile. And the reason why I give Janet Franson kudos is because Not only did she work that case and many, many other cases throughout her years of service, but in searching for information on these cases, I would go to these different sites and I would see several times where she posted a comment on one of the very brief stories that said, hey, I was looking for or I am looking for family members of Carleen Brown. If anybody knows any information, here's my email address. And so thank you to her for going above and beyond. And I hope that If, you know, the cases that she's still working, I wish her good luck in all of those. I do want to quote her regarding uh, her statements that she has said publicly about Royal Russell Long. She says there are similarities between those cases and the Rollins case. And she says these similarities in her opinion are strong. She added, quote, not only did he drive trucks, but he killed girls all over the country. There's no doubt in my mind there are more victims of his than we will probably ever know. She also says, quote, the only good thing is that I know the son of a gun is in hell and he won't hurt anyone else.
1: To get access to every True Crime Garage episode, download the Stitcher app, It's free. Check out our bonus show on Stitcher Premium called Off the Record, where we give updates about cases that we have covered and a behind-the-scenes look into the garage. Download the Stitcher app today.
2: And a little recommended reading for this week, Captain. This week we are recommending The Darkest Night on September twenty fourth, 1973, 11-year-old Amy Burridge and her 18-year-old sister Becky Thompson were raped and thrown from a Fremont Canyon bridge near Casper, Wyoming. Amy died. Becky survived. Two local men, Ron Kennedy and Jerry Jenkins, were swiftly arrested. This is a Wyoming-solved case and a fantastic book. That is The Darkest Night. Two sisters, a brutal murder, and the loss of innocence in a small town by Ron Francell, And we will have that listed on our website on the recommended page at truecrimegarage.com.
1: And while you're on our page, just go pick up a Zodiac hoodie. We have them in black, gray, and blue, and a limited number. So get yours. You got to order it today. It's the last order of hoodies for the hoodie season.
2: And that will do it for this week here in the Garage Captain. Until next week, everybody out there, be good, be kind, and don't let her.